Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Joe Rentmeester. Joe is known for his aggressive style of deer hunting in high-pressured areas and has been featured in many hunting beast videos and content. We discuss his style of hunting, the bump and dump, target panic, and really this is based around a complete breakdown from start to finish of finding and killing his 2021 Wisconsin public land bucked in an overlooked hunting area. 100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief, you can use code West to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge to edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EastMeetsWest-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out 
are three bedroom, one and a half bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week comes from Trey Dixon out of Arkansas. And the story is short and sweet. And Trey wrote in to us and said, I've been hunting off and on around a large piece of public land in the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas for two or three years now. And I finally connected with this decent buck. I'm sure there's no shortage of Mountain Buck Monday posts for you, but this deer is special in its own right to me. And Trey, that deer would be special in anybody's mind, including myself. Beautiful buck, awesome deer, and you definitely earned it. If you if you guys go check out the the photos on uh, either the East Meets West Hunt Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook, the second photo you can see how Trey packed out this deer. Uh, it you just got to take a look at the photo. It's pretty impressive. Uh, like I said, definitely earn this deer out of the Ozarks in Arkansas, which is definitely, from what I've heard, not an easy place to to tackle uh, deer hunting. So congratulations, Trey. If anybody else has a Mountain Buck Monday story, definitely send them in. I post them in the order that I receive them. Um, so if you sent one in and haven't uh, haven't seen it for a while, just be patient with it. If it's been... A long, long time. Send me a reminder just in case somehow it got missed. But uh, send send them in to Bo at eastmeetswesthunt.com or the easiest way, just go to eastmeetswesthunt.com and fill in the contact us form and uh, I will get back to you there. So anyways, uh, just kind of some updates here before we jump into this episode. This is the week, uh, the weekend, I guess, been waiting for and it is the Mountain Buck Scouting Camp. Uh, so I've got everyone coming in and I've been putting a ton of time into preparing for this event. I really hope it goes as, as good as I'm planning on it. Um, uh, the weather is going to be a little bit cold, a little bit rainy, but we're going to spend a lot of time hiking around. We're going to spend time in the classrooms at first, building those foundations and then going out in the field, taking a look at sign, how to read sign, looking at it from different points of views. We get Johnny Stewart there, Greg Litzinger. We have Kenny Kane. We have Bill Thompson from Spartan Forge. We have Taylor Chamberlain doing a saddle hunting uh, demo, and just and and also my dad's going to be there, and he's going to be walking through some of these things with us. So I'm excited. He decided to to jump in. It's it, oh, overall, it's going to be a really cool event. Um, I'm super excited about it, and uh, yeah, so that that'll be good happening this weekend and. Uh, hopefully after that gets done, can start planning for the next one. 
Uh, other than that, uh, I, I did want to share a, a quick story for you. I went scouting over the weekend and into an area that I actually talked about in this this podcast with Joe. Uh, I haven't been there in 12 months since I dropped cameras out. And there's risk in doing this uh, with dropping cameras for that long and not going back. Um, one of the cameras, batteries died October 20th. Uh, one ran the whole year, which is good. And then the last one, someone shut the camera off, uh, around August 16th. So basically a couple of the cameras, I didn't learn a whole lot from them, but the way I look at it is if I didn't put those cameras out, then I probably wouldn't have got back in there at all. It wouldn't have had any Intel. So to me, that's still a win. I got information out of the area. Definitely seems like higher hunting pressure than I had imagined for how steep and rugged it is and and how really how far of a walk it is. I, I was kind of blown away by that. Um, but the coolest thing out of that entire thing is I got a cinnamon black bear, a cinnamon phase black bear on one of my cameras. I've never seen that before in Pennsylvania. I've seen that in Colorado when I've hunted out there and in the western states, but never in PA. It it was it was pretty cool. I had an ear tag in it and I posted it on my Instagram story and right away I got a bunch of messages that bear had been killed. Um and had I'm not gonna give specific details, but it was killed quite a ways away from where I had photos of it in the summertime. So um and then from it, literally in a day's time frame, I learned, I feel like the whole life of that bear, which is crazy about social media, but that bear covered a lot of ground. And, uh, yeah, so that was, that was interesting, uh, to be able to get that, that, uh, footage there, that bear, and then also to be able to hear the whole story about it. But anyways, uh, other than that, uh, I don't think I have anything else. Just, um, oh, I will have some new beanies going up on the website. I'm waiting to take them to the to the scouting camp first, see if anybody's interested in there first. The last one sold out pretty quick. I did order more this time, so hopefully that uh, the last a little bit longer. But these are cool ones. They have the Mountain Bucks logo in them um, on a leather patch on a, a brown marled beanie, and it's they're pretty sweet. So uh, I'm excited to get them up. So check it out. If you sign up for the email subscriber list on the website, that's where I usually release all information first and foremost, when things go live, scouting camps, uh, podcasts, whatever it is, everything goes live there first. So sign up for that email list. And um, yeah, I hope everyone enjoys this podcast with Joe Rentmeester. Have a good rest of your week. All right, we're live. Joe Rentmeester, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, to talk I, about I know uh, it's it's funny. Uh, I guess I met you in person in 2020, I think, at the the Pennsylvania Public Land Challenge uh, mm-hmm. camp, the the one night there, and I followed your stuff for a while and everything, and and uh, I'm excited to get to talk to you on the show finally. Yeah, absolutely. No, you guys have beautiful country out there. I kind of envy what you have. <clears throat> Excuse me. You guys just have miles and miles and you can just, you can get lost out there yeah. around here. You, you can, uh, you walk a little further and you hit the next road. So I envy that. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, definitely very lucky um, in Pennsylvania to have, and, and just, I guess, in the area of Pennsylvania that I live in, to be able to have all of that. And I took that for granted until I moved away and moved down you know, in the Pittsburgh area for a while. And I was like, man, this is difficult to try to find you know small public land chunks or whatever when before it was like anything that wasn't posted was just like open hunting you know from this just everything was was like that so yeah i I definitely take it for granted sometimes and and it sounds like it's gotten better and better for you guys over the last say 10 years like there's been a lot of management would you say you've seen that yeah definitely in the last i don't know 15 and actually going on 20 years it's almost been 20 years since the antler uh point restrictions i truly believe that had a huge impact on on the quality and also the timber management and the foresters have done a great job with that and and game commission and everything else they've done a very good job at kind of managing things and uh you know not everybody will agree with that but i i believe so i think that i've never seen body sizes of deer so healthy and and the antlers um and age and all that stuff is coming with it the population is quite a bit lower than it was you know in the 90s and stuff that you hear the glory years but i just i don't know i like i like where everything's everything's at right now i feel like we are kind of in the glory years and hopefully that continues good yeah Yeah. and you hear about just as many people headed out to pennsylvania to hunt as you do some of the states like ohio and and stuff like that so you guys are really starting to, to work your way up there in terms of uh quality of animals and people pursuing them yeah no definitely it's it's pretty cool to to get to see so joe tell us a little bit about where you're from and uh yeah a little bit about yourself yeah so i'm from uh southeastern wisconsin um grew up where where i grew up hunting it's kind of it's more so your farm country um it's a lot of uh farms that were purchased from the department of natural resources and then they kind of overgrew so you get some some apple trees in some unique spots you get some swamps you get some overgrown fields with young trees in them that deer kind of bed in or there's just a lot of unique um different types of terrains because of what we have out here not huge blocks um very high pressure out here uh there's a lot of bigger cities around milwaukee's not too far away um, there's a number, number of other cities. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I grew up hunting out here, grew up hunting some private, eventually um, started realizing the bigger deer were on public. The private that I hunted gets hit pretty hard. We got 13 guys on a, a small amount of acreage. So um, yeah, and I just kind of took it from there and just like a lot of you guys, just obsessed with it and and uh, kept tinkering and learning. And the one, one of the things I say, when, when I was young, um, with my dad, I don't know, 12 years old, whatever. We do a lot of deer shining. Can you guys deer shine? In yeah. Yeah. That's a big, yeah. We call it spotting, but same thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So we do a lot of deer shining and you see those absolute giants. And I remember just as a, a young kid, you'd sit and, and go, man, maybe someday I'll be able to kill one. And now finally 30 years old, we're start, starting to figure out how to kill some of them. And it's just cool to see something that you always wanted really, really bad. And, uh, learn and figure out the tactics that it would take to kill them. So it's, it's cool. They're there. They're hard to kill, but they're there. 
Yeah, that was that's the same that's the same thing as like you know growing up here's yeah going we called it spotting like I said but we go out and we go to all these private fields that that we couldn't hunt or anything but just go to to spot them and love seeing the bucks out there and just could mm-hmm. g- get me pumped up as a kid that was like uh you know something I look forward to so I can I can relate yeah. to that the one thing that's what's interesting about especially your location is like it's it's hilarious. Like when I look at areas, like if I'm going to go out of state or even in state, like I look for major population areas and like go away from there. And you're like in the center of all of it, yeah. you know, with Chicago and Milwaukee and all that, like that's, that's a, yeah. a difficult, a difficult place. So you, you definitely grew up with a, a school of hard knocks from, from that standpoint. Yeah. We get a lot of deer though disappear fall off the face of the earth and you wonder where in the heck they went and we had one um it it ended up being like eight years old was the last year that i knew about it it disappeared and uh this year i was kind of scouting that area working my way through and i got to the road and there was a young man on the road and i started chatting with him and i said you ever kill anything in here and uh he's like oh yeah a few years ago i killed a a eight point in here i'm like you got i right away it clicked i'm like you have any pictures of it by chance and he showed it to me and i'm like you have no idea what you just killed and i'm like you know that's like an eight-year-old deer right he's like you think so i'm like i know so (laughs) i shot it and he took it took it back home he lived an hour away and and uh yeah they just they get whacked and they get taken back home to far away and disappear so it's it's cool it's part of the game yeah you know it's it's funny like that our our rifle season is definitely bow season isn't as high a pressure but the the gun season is pretty crazy at times and and uh every year i'm like you know if I like put cameras out or check them, like, you know, did, did the bucks make it? What happened to them? Like, it's, you know, I, we, we still get like the local papers or people put the bucks in there, but I'm like, well, if people come from out of state or somewhere else, like, I don't, how am I supposed to know? You know, I've, I've found them on social media before, like yeah, bucks yeah. that I was hunting. Yeah. And I've actually, yeah. it's a similar story. I messaged a guy and I was like, man, like, and I was like, you don't have to tell me, but I was like, did this buck come from this general area? And he's like, yes. And I was like, I started sending him trail camera pictures. And I was like, man, this deer's. I started getting pictures of him in 2015 and he killed him in 2021. I was like, this is insane. I was like, and actually he was, uh, he was bigger, you know, a couple of years before that. I was like, but that's just a deer I could never figure out. And it's, it's, yep. it's funny how you get like obsessed with, with that and trying to, trying to figure it out. Yes. Yep. Yeah. No. And that's, yeah. Figuring out how they killed it is an interesting thing. And, and he said the buck was, he said it was sneaking. It looked like it was tiptoeing, sneaking back into a swamp at 10 o'clock opening morning of gun season. The the buck knew he had screwed up. It was, he was trying to sneak (laughs) out when all the hunters were out of the woods. Like it was, it was clever, but that deer always was clever, but yeah, same. Oh, that's that's so funny how you, how you ran into him and just so happened to be the guy that, that killed that deer and that he's given you the story behind it. Like that's, it's, uh, that's pretty cool. And so like, so you, it sounded like that you grew up kind of in a hunting family then. Yeah. So nothing crazy. It's just the typical, like if you watch Jake from, uh, THP, it's kind of the Wisconsin hunting tradition. Everybody suits up and blaze orange from head to toe, goes out and shoots, whatever. It's like that. Um, my dad, he did his bow hunting. You know, if he shot his one and a half, two and a half year old buck, that was cool. Once in a while, he'd get a good one. Um, and that was kind of the gist of it, but it's kind of the, the tradition out here. Yeah, no, that's, 
That's cool. And and we always talk about Michigan and Pennsylvania being similar, but I feel like Wisconsin's kind of grouped into that thing. And even some of Minnesota with like that deer camp tradition and having that, that blaze orange jumpsuit and, and the uh, meat pole and everything else. Yep. Yep. It's, it's just like that. So when did, when did you like really get into, um, I guess really seriously hunting deer because like from what anytime, well, from meeting you at one of the thing, one of the first things I realized from meeting you in person, like I've, I've heard you, uh, or watched you on some, of uh, Dan Infault's videos and stuff before and seen you on Instagram and, and whatever. But I, when I met you, I, I, you can tell right away when someone's like, super obsessed with deer because all they do is ask a million questions like about like specific things. And I pulled that from you and I'm like, that's, that's awesome. Like you, you were, when I was talking about something, you were just like asking a bunch of questions about the area and really trying to soak all that in. And I'm like, man, this guy, he's, he's got be annoying. You got to be careful. <laughs> no, I, I like, I want to do the same thing. Like I just love, well, obviously I have a podcast or ask people questions, but it's like, it's, I, I love learning. And, and you, you were just like, no matter who's talking, like it, it didn't matter, you know, what, well, everybody there was pretty successful deer hunters, but like just trying to understand like their perspective and what they see and what they do. And, and I obviously knew right away. I was like, all right, when did that kind of start for you um, as far as getting serious into it? And how, how did you kind of learn in your style of hunting sorts? So, I mean, you could go back pretty far on this. So like, me and some buddies talk about this sometimes. Some, some of the guys that are absolutely eating up with it, it's almost, it's kind of in your DNA. It's something that's just there. So like, if you, if you hop on my Instagram and you scroll down, there's a picture of me. I don't know. I was maybe five or eight years old or something like that with a, I think I had a gun in my hand with the, with the orange end on it, a fake gun. And uh, I remember at one point I was out behind my parents' house and uh, a buck and a doe ran by. There's a hill behind my parents' house, a buck and a doe ran by and I saw him and it was the coolest thing. And, uh, my dad took a piece of wood and cut the shape of a deer out. So in the picture, I'm standing there with this fake gun and uh, um, the cutout deer next to me. And it was just so like my brother didn't do that. It was just something that was kind of ingrained in my brain. And then I would, I remember <laughs> you guys have KFCs up by you. Oh yeah. Yeah, we do. We would go to the KFCs and I would save all the plastic knives. And then I'd run around the, the hill with the, <clears throat> with the plastic knives. That was my weapon. I thought I was going to know the deer. So <laughs> it was all when it was young, when, it, when I was young, but it was just something that was always ingrained in my brain. And then as soon as I was old enough to hunt um, the first year, um, actually my, my very first hunt ever, um, I think I was 12 years old. I had a doe come through. I shot her, thought the shot was iffy. Um, the, she ran off. It was actually a perfect shot. She ran off. And then my, my memory, tell, I had a buck come in after her. My memory tells me it was probably like a hundred and 20 inch buck is what my memory tells me right now. But you know, that was how many years ago? So I don't know, maybe, maybe it was like a 80 inch buck. And that's what my memory tells me. <laughs> but uh, I had this buck standing in front of me forever feeding on acorns. Back then it, we had what was called a hunter's choice. So you shoot one or the other. And I heard it had already shot the doe and that buck stood in front of me. And I, I remember my dad telling me just hold still. Like when you have a deer in front of you, hold still. So I was just glued to the tree motionless and just, I was hooked then I was eating up. I remember going <laughs> home and telling my parents about the story and just, I was wild about it. So yeah, kind of, kind of the start. 
Yeah, that's 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 hilarious. And and so talk a little bit about transitioning a little bit further ahead, like kind of your style of hunting. If you had to like, uh, if you had to put it in kind of an elevator pitch of what your style of hunting looks like, kind of explain that. So I would say, for me, it's almost targeting specific bucks, regardless of what territory, what area they're in is that kind of what you're looking for yeah but yeah that, that's 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 definitely um so like okay you're targeting a specific buck depending on what area so you like to hunt like you're not like okay i hunt specifically swamps or I hunt specifically big woods or farm country you're like i want to find a buck i want to hunt and i don't care where they live at i want to hunt them correct yeah and and they don't even have to have huge racks like i want it to be a mature buck yeah and have high high scoring deer around here if you go over to the south they score a little higher but it just it's gotta gotta be a specific buck i get obsessed with i get eaten up with and it's just all day long you sit and think about how you're going to kill that buck now i've talked a lot about swamps and hunting swamps because what we have a fair amount of them around here and what usually ends up happening is you find a buck that you want to kill whether you shine him get him with the trail camera you glass him in a field whatever and then when you start kind of tracing that buck and working back to where, <clears throat> excuse me, to where he lives, it usually ends up being in a swamp. So that's how I usually find myself in swamps quite a bit. Okay. Um, but yeah. 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 Okay. That makes, that makes sense. Cause I, I feel like a lot of the stuff that I've seen of you early on and stuff had to deal with being in swamps, but that makes sense, especially in your location of where you live at and, and everything else. So that, that definitely makes sense. And how, how did you, how did you get, um, hooked up with, with Dan Infault and getting to hunt with him? Is, is he a family friend or how did, how did you guys kind of connect? No. So that, that was just at a Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series, but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. A very, um, very young age. I was when I was eating up with all eating up with all the stuff at a young age. Um, there, I went on the hunting beast form and just uh, sat there asking millions and millions and millions of questions, and uh, got to know them that way. Oh, really? 
yeah that's that's funny and um yeah there but there you go again that comes down to like asking questions can help you so much and just asking you know why this why that and then trying to confirm that kind of stuff for yourself is is such valuable valuable information yeah. and 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 the people that do that i feel like that aren't afraid to ask questions uh, that's you can't you can't get answers to questions you don't ask i guess correct correct yeah, yeah. So, and, and, um, you know, with that being said, it seems like, uh, that your, your hunting style is, is relatively aggressive. Like, so when you're hunting a specific buck, how do you kind of draw that line of like, okay, um, I, I want to aggressively pursue this deer, but I also I'm hunting this specific deer, so I don't want to screw it up. Do you think about that at all? Or how do how do you think of that process? Yeah, I do. I do. And it's, it's changed over the years. So for example, um, there are certain swamps where I, I had a buck that would live in that swamp and I would sit there and I would just bounce around and beat, beat the heck out of that swamp and beat it up. And then, um, like there was one buck for example, and then I did that and then gun season came along and the buck ended up getting wounded outside, just outside of the swamp where I was entering the swamp. So that I learned that I was too aggressive. And then, um, I did that a number of times in a number of different situations. And now I've learned I'm getting better at kind of going in when it's hot, picking the cherry and then getting out of there. Um, So, so that's, that's evolved. It's still evolving. Obviously every deer is different. Some deer you can get away with multiple sits on some deer. You can't like in the swamps. The reason they're in there is because around here anyways, the reason they're in there is because nobody else is in there. So like you talk excuse me, you talk about like bump and dump. And here's, here's one thing I learned from my hunt this year. So you talk about bump and dump and I'm curious if you've had success with it as well, but mm-hmm. um, you, if, when you go into the swamps, I, I've tried it time and time again, you'll jump up a big buck and then you'll get back in there the next morning to hunt him and he doesn't come back or you, you wait a week and he doesn't come back. And it's like, they, they don't have human scent in there. So when you do spook them, they are freaked the hell out. But now you get what I've learned this year is you kind of get you get on the dry land where there's people all the time. They're getting bumped around. They're getting nudged around. You can bump him out of there. He'll come right back in the next morning because he's getting bumped out two, three times a week. It's just part of his thing. He gets bumped out. He loops back around. How aggressive you can be, I guess, varies depending upon like what what kind of deer you're hunting. If some of the deer, it seems, have um multiple spots where when you bump them, they'll run to the next spot and they'll, they'll be in one of these three major areas. Some of the deer have that one spot where they want to be. It's just, it varies so much. You have to kind of gauge that and pay attention to it. Yeah. It's, it is, it is funny that you say that because I've had such varying experiences with that for the most part. I feel like that if I bump a deer once or twice, I'm not like, they're not gone from the country. And like, I, I, I rarely find like in the areas that I hunt specific beds that a deer will bed in all the time, but I'll find an area like it might be a specific cut or an edge of a cut or something that like this deer is, is living in, but he's kind of shifting around. And like, I've been able to, to bump them and them still come right back there because I feel like they have such good escape routes. And this is my theory of, and I have very limited experience with swamps. So don't, don't, uh, this could be off the wall, but like, I feel like they feel like they're confined. Like when you're out like on an Island or something, you get this water and stuff around, like it's a little bit more limited where like in a lot of the big wood stuff, like they can run in a bunch of different directions and, and get away and feel like they were never really in danger. 
you know, not like their back was against a wall, so to speak. I, I don't know. That's, yeah. that's, that's just kind of a thought I have, but I feel like it is personality driven. There's a deer I was hunting in 2020 and, and, uh, and I, I had some encounters with him and I, I had him a full draw. I never got a shot in 2021. I felt like I put too much pressure, uh, on because I knew where he was living at. And I was like in there probably, I got, I got too confident in like that. I, I, I felt like he wouldn't, I don't know. I just didn't feel like he was gonna, uh, run out of the area, but he completely disappeared on me and did not do anything like he did the year before. And he ended up showing up like late in the rut and on my cameras and, and he had made it through and that was after I already killed my deer. But still I was like, okay, what was it me putting pressure on him? Was it, there was also like a, a new logging cut that was put in there. There was no acorns that year. So it could have been food related and not related to me, but it, it makes me think, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to tell. Yeah. And you don't, you know, maybe that bucks, I have a situation right now that I keep thinking about last year and I knew the buck was in this certain area. I went in and hunted it the first morning when I figured out he was in that area. And I heard a funny sound in the dark, like 20 minutes before light. And then after that, he was gone from the area. And I wondered, what was he in there solid? And he, he nailed me in the dark and that was it? You, you don't know. You don't know if you screwed it out. There's no way to figure that out. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I get it. That, that, that totally makes sense. And like... So with that being said, let's, let's kind of dive into the story of your 2021 buck and, and kind of where that started in, if, if I'm, if uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but if, from following along with your posts, so you had a really good Instagram, like series of posts that made me like, I was just like, I loved reading along with it. I love hearing stories and it sounds like it started in the spring of 2021. Is that correct? Uh, correct. Uh, so- yeah, spring of 2021. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the yep, year. starting in spring of 2021. Yep. So <clears throat> I guess to get into it, a new area that I'm picking apart, it was just something new I wanted to start looking at. Um, usually I find the deer and then the area, so to speak. But this time I was just doing a little bit of spring scouting and uh, walked through this whole area. And when by the road, there's kind of a thicket. And when I was walking along in that thicket, there were some good sized rubs that kind of make you pump the brakes and pay attention to them. They're, they're obvious. It was from a, a bigger deer, the height of them. It was obvious something was going on there, but it's again, in this area, it's so high pressure. Um, I thought the deer is probably dead, but we'll pay attention to this and I'll uh, come back and, and take a look, uh, run some trail cameras and, and maybe there's something in here, maybe something will come of it, but I didn't put a lot of weight on it. And uh, I just kept scouting through uh, checking things out. And then one time, and you can see this on Instagram as I was headed back to my car, um, I caught a big track in the gravel on the side of the road, and it was obvious that it was a huge track from a big deer. And that that was when I kind of knew, hey, there's something, there's a big deer in here. He's still alive. And uh, just looking at it, there really wasn't any swamp around, so I knew it would be a, a whole different ball game. Um, and, and what the terrain is kind of made up of, it's it's big woods, big woods with subtle rolling hills. There's some aggressive hills, some subtle rolling hills, but it's super high pressure. I mean, the squirrel hunters – um, the hiking trails, the horse trails, the snowmobile trails, it's, it's super high pressure. So I knew if he was in there, he was living among, amongst that. <clears throat> so now hold, hold on one second. So don't mean to cut you off, but like with, no, when you, 
when you're talking about the the high pressure, is it is it high pressure from hunters too, or a lot of like non-hunting pressure? Yeah, so it it's hunters. So what that <clears throat> I'm realizing with this area, so everyone's starting to kind of focus in on swamps, and it, it, there, there's just so much buzz around swamps. Everyone's headed to the swamps. Anybody that's a decent hunter kind of understands that the deer are in there. And what's happening, what I'm observing happening in this type of area is your your hunters that are not doing any research, not figuring anything out, like you're, how do I say it? Like you're, you're not very good hunters are headed for these places because they're like, oh, I'm going to walk, walk up this horse trail and I'm going to step off it 20 hours and I'm going to set up here and, and uh, drink my Mountain Dew. And <laughs> yeah. I say that because there's litter everywhere in here. It's, it's the weirdest thing. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, those are the kind of hunters that are, are hunting this and you're any hardcore guy or sort of hardcore guy is going to look at it and go, that's crazy. I'm not going to go in there. There's horse riders. There's all these people that are, are sloppy hunters. There's ribbons everywhere. It just looks like crap. Well, what, what's actually happening is those not good hunters are not killing the deer that are in there and the deer are learning how to navigate around the people. And that that's something I learned about this area later. And it's, it's very interesting to me because it's, it's opposite of what you think. Like when you talk about overlooked, it is truly overlooked in a sophisticated way, sort of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you were playing, you had to learn to play off of those hunters a lot. And like when you have high hunting pressure in areas like the, the deer, yeah, the deer figure it out. And I always think about this, like with the popularity of Western hunting, and I talk a lot about that on the, the podcast and everything is like, as things become popular, but th- those animals still find they find ways to live with it, you know, and they find yes. those gaps. And that's kind of what you're, you're discussing here. Yes. Yep. And what's cool is you can, then you can go in there and you can see where the people are leaving their litter and sitting. You can see where the people are cutting branches and spending time. You can see, I remember in the, once I figured out what this deer was and that I wanted to hunt it, I remember I was, I did a lot of summer scouting and uh, I was walking through one day in a spot where I had normally walked through somebody drove a tractor off of the private and mowed some paths. And I later figured out they, well, I won't get into why they mowed the paths because I don't, I don't want to give the spot away too much, but <laughs> they mowed some paths and I, and I saw it and I was like, Jesus, this is, this is ridiculous. And then I started to really think about it and I'm like, you know what, this is going to kind of work to my benefit because these are paths that they're, the, the people are using these paths. So I know the deer are not around they're not on the path. I mean, they might be watching the path. So then you, you start taking all that into consideration. You're, you're almost eliminating spots by figuring out where people are hunting, where people are walking and messing around. And it was in a way, when you kind of look for the positive side of it, it was making it easier for me because I could rule a bunch of spots out. You know, it was, it was funneling all of the, your more basic style hunters. It was kind of funneling them all and it, it worked to my benefit. Do you do anything like where, say, you have either a printed map or online or something where you, like, highlight those areas and, like, look at it from a big picture? Like, okay, or does it just kind of in your mind of, like, these are the areas that that uh, I'm going to avoid because of this? Like, how how do you take that information and apply it? I, I don't, like, map it out or anything. It's, for me, I guess it's more so in my head because I'm, I'm always, you always have to take in, into consideration that that deer might be laying 30 yards off that path in the brush that that path might have created an overlooked spot and now I can use that to my advantage where he wants to watch and see what's going on right there um so I I, 
we can be our own worst enemy. You know what I mean? You might go, oh, shoot, there's a path over here. I'm just going to stay out of there. Well, no, maybe he's there because he can watch that path. You know, some some de- one thing I'm finding quite a bit is if a if a buck tell me tell me what you see if you if a buck has an opportunity to observe people and be safe or live way back deep and every once in a while get get the crap scared out of him because somebody surprised him which which one would he rather do and I'm starting to see more and more these bigger older bucks they want to monitor us they want to watch us I'm seeing it more and more I know the personality of every deer is different but that's something I I, I'm starting to play off of and use to my benefit. How about you? What are you seeing with with that? I I, I immediately thought of a, a story of this buck that I that I hunted. That uh, the listeners, if they listen back far enough, have heard of this deer. I called him Hercules. He was just like this back when I, I used to name deer, and he was like this just giant buck. And and I actually found his shed in a bed that was like 25 yards off of like this gated road where everybody walk in, including myself. And I'd walk right past this spot and he had shed. It was like uh third week in December. I found it like Christmas Eve and he had, he was watching literally, you could see where the bed was wore down logged to his back. And it was like, this was kind of like flatter big wood stuff. And it was, it was kind of swampy and there was just like one little group of trees and then there was some higher grass and he, you know, he could see that trail. So I kind of like, I crawled down in the bed and looked and I'm like, this is perfect. But like when you get yeah. from the trail, you can't, it doesn't stand out as a place to be able to notice or, and just the way the logs were in the background, you'd never see him laying there. And I'm like this deer. And I found some other spots that I, I thought that he bedded in that were similar close to that area that all watched this trail. Cause I found some big rubs that kind of led and right on the edge of it. And I was like, you, and that made me think a little bit about that. And, and there was another area that, that I was hunting that had like an ATV trail that went through it. And it was the same situation that I didn't know the specific deer that was using this spot, but I'd found some big beds and rubs that had, had le- left leaving these beds, um, going back in, but they were watching these trails. And I was like, that's, that's pretty incredible. Like, I, and I know from like gun season and, and you know, when you put on deer drives or anything, a lot of these deer aren't getting up until you're like right on top of them. So I think they want to be able to, to, to watch with it. So I, th- I think it's very situational, um, for me. Uh, but I have found in areas that do have trails and stuff like that, that there's a lot of, a lot of situations where I think these bucks are, are monitoring us better than we're monitoring them. Yeah. Yep. They, they like to, they like to know what's going on. They, they do. Yeah. But yeah, like you say, there's, there's plenty of deer, I guess, that I know about that sink in deep and they avoid people until it's jet blackout and then they head out to the crop fields. Yeah. So it goes both ways, but I'm seeing more and more deer that like to observe people. Yeah. It's, it, it yeah, it is kind of crazy to, and yeah, but, but being able to pick up on that and, and you can use that to your advantage, um, and, and try to figure it out. So based on that Intel and you scouted that area and found it, what were you thinking and kind of what would you, would you move from there? Yeah. So in summer, um, like I said, I, uh, saw the big track summer came along. I started running trail cameras. I immediately got a photo of him. It was a daylight photo kind of at last light as he was coming down this one Ridge. And I'm like, cool, he's, he's right in here. This is going to be really simple. Um, he was the first velvet picture video I got of him. He was good. Like I was, 
I wasn't crazy about him, but he was good. And then uh, as I pulled my camera out of there and I started searching for other deer. And then as summer went on, um, I thought, man, that deer, that deer's maybe bigger. He's got to be huge by now. It's been like two months. I wonder what that thing is. So I stuck the camera back in there, um, got a picture of him in a, a different spot. There was a, a tree that he was feeding under a, an apple tree and uh, got his picture right away. And I was like, crap, that's a deer I want to shoot. So then, um, then it's time to start scouting during summer because I, I don't have enough intel at that point. I want to get my scent all over in there, get all my dirty work done in the summer, figure it out, and then get out of there and kill them when the season starts. Um, so I did a ton of scouting in the summer, um, found a little spot where um, I, I guess a, a little piece that he was going through, there were some rubs and you could tell they were, they were his from last year, um, mature rubs. And it was, a, I guess we'll call it a little funnel. And uh, I stuck a wireless trail camera up there and I had him coming through this little pinch every morning going into what I would call a bedding area. And I, without, I, I don't want to, we'll call it a grassy bedding area is what we'll call it. I don't want to describe it too much, Yeah. but uh, he wanted this grassy bedding area right at first light. There were some mornings where it was, it would have been close to your legal light. It was still summer though. And, and I thought, man, I'm going to opening morning and I'm going to crack them. It's going to be pretty simple. And uh, I just, the phone would go off every day, ping, ping, ping. It was so simple. I thought this deer is, nobody's hunting this deer, right? You can kind of tell what's going on here. I'm going to kill him. And uh, just like they do, um, right around Velvet Shed, all my buddies are saying their bucks are disappearing and boom, he fell off the face of the earth. And uh, I got, I got one photo of days before the season in Hardhorn. And I'm like, okay, he's still in the area. Um, we have a lot of, re- I shouldn't say a lot. We've got a few ref- refuges around here and, the, the deer, when the pressure gets on, they go into those refuges and they live in those refuges the entire season. Eventually they get killed. They slip out with a doe or something like that. Um, and, and that's always a worry when the season hits, is he going to end up sinking down to that refuge where he's going to be left alone and I can't hunt him anyway. I got, I spent all this time on this deer and he's going to be in that refuge. So um, early season came along. Uh, I still had no idea what was going on. I think I hunted opening day once and I ran into a bunch of people and I was like, this is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, um, so then I started working trail cameras around and I found it, we had a really dry year and I found a little wet spot and, uh, stuck a trail camera over that wet spot. And I had him come in one night on the wireless trail camera. I think it was like an hour after dark to that water. And the direction he came in, I was like, holy crap, he's, he's back in the woods somewhere. He's still here. So this he's, he's using this area. And uh, I'd previously talked about the spot by the road um, with all the rubs and stuff. I, I thought that might be a spot I'd be able to kill him, you know, right by the parking lot. And I went in there and people had it all hacked and cut. And there was some dude that was like notching a tree with a knife wherever he would walk. I, I don't know if that's <laughs> how it might And I'm like, okay, this deer's not, not in here. And uh, so that was that. Um, it was, I, I put on a crazy amount of miles. Um, at one point, you can go on my Instagram. Um, I got up into a little, I guess you'd call it like a one or two acre clear cut that had been clear cut and I'm not a good gauge of this, but I don't know, 10 years ago. And they just clear cut this little spot um, on a kind of a side hill and uh, the trees grew back up. And what actually kind of helped me. So a lot of people tell you it's hard to read sign when everything's green. And in this situation, it almost, you can kind of tell where the deer are able to walk or where they are walking because you can kind of see the the funnels or the trails or the openings. And it actually, in my opinion, it worked to my benefit. And I kind of was following trails and it led me right up into this little um, this 
overgrown clear cut. And I got in there and you could, again, see his sign from last year. And if you go on the, you can, you can see the video on Instagram. Yep. Um, I did a, I did a lot of uh, my buddy, Justin Wright hunts in Missouri a lot. He's, he lives in Missouri and he hunts a lot of very similar terrains. So I said, dude, I'm going to pick your brain like crazy on this deer on how to kill him because I, I don't have the knowledge of, of the hills and the thermals and all that. Like a lot of people do, or like he does. So I was always sending videos. What do you think of this? Check this out, whatever. And uh, there, there was a, another um, cut just below this one that had like, I guess you'd call it a signpost rub. Um, I know there's a lot of technical terms for different rubs. Um, and I heard you talking about it. You were running trail cameras on on, on uh, signpost rubs when I was listening to your podcast today. Yeah. But uh, I stuck a trail camera in the signpost rub and I stuck a wireless up in the bedding area. And uh, I left them there for, I think, like a month, both of them. And uh, just got pictures of little bucks. And I, and I eventually pulled the trail camera out of the bedding area, but I thought I'll leave the one on the signpost rub and, and check it eventually. Um, and, and this is where it's so important. So many people, I think, would make the mistake and say, nope, he's not in here. That's it. On to the next spot. And you got to remember, there's different times of the year where they want to be in different places. So I just kept it in the back of my brain. Well, I'm shooting a new bow this year, and I am pumped. After playing around with a buddy's Hoyt RX-8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. And uh, um, I had an encounter with a different buck in a whole different area. I don't know if you want to get into that or not. Yeah, go ahead. I'll just make it simple. So a whole different buck in a whole different area. Um, A a nice, I don't don't know, hundred and... 30 inch buck right off of the road. Um, I had, had the buck come flying in really fast. Um, I drew back. I realized my camera, the camera had like, you had to close the shutter door for the SD card. I was screwing around with the camera. My elbow hit a knot on the back of the tree and I rushed the shot and I messed it up. And that, that was when I was like, all right, we're going to put the camera away and we're just going to focus on killing deer here for a bit. So um, that was why I didn't end up getting this kill on film. Um, now while I was hunting that buck, um, <laughs> oh, Mario- hold on, hold on. I want to, I want to yeah, yeah. comment on that because, um, I've mentioned it on here before. Like I've never self filmed. Um, and I've tried it 
when I say I've tried it, I've like got the camera arm set up on the tree and got frustrated enough that I never even like got it set up because I was just like, this is a lot. There's a lot of things going on. Like I just, I have enough trouble with trying to keep myself in the present moment and, and executing the shot like I need to <laughs> as it is. Like I don't need a camera screwing this whole up, this whole thing up. And then this year I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to run a camera. I'm going to do this. I actually bought a, a, a nice camera and, and, but I still had this like the big clunky tree arm and I'm like trying to figure out how to get it. And I remember that morning opening morning, I'm like, I got my tree and I have all my stuff and I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to set it up. And, uh, then I ended up shooting, shooting my buck into the spot. But like, literally I, if I would have had my camera arm on the tree, like never would have had to move it, just hit record and it would have been perfect. But, uh, it, it's one of those things. I just, I struggle with it hard. Like I, I've been looking at like maybe getting one of those like 360 cameras or something that I see people using now that it seems like you don't have to move it around and it, least gets gets decent footage but i just i love i love capturing stuff on film and i love the filming act but the filming and hunting from a tree standpoint is very difficult for me to to get my hands around or get my head around yeah it's hard it is really hard and once i lost the camera and the camera arm the weight that came off my back and the speed at which i was able to set up and tear it down like all that stuff became so much easier but now I sit here without footage of the kill and it's like, damn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you, you, but, you've no. captured quite a bit on film before. Like you've, you've been doing it for quite a yeah. while. So I, I give anybody credit that does that because it's, it's, uh, it's not simple. Yeah. And I, I've said, and I've heard other people say this too, that it always, I always felt like it helped me stay calm because it's, you're just like in business mode. Everything's strictly business. I'm getting this thing on video. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Rather than just sitting there with the tip of your arrow shaking two inches back and forth while you're all wound up, you're like, you're focused, you're in the zone, you're doing your thing. And I always felt like in a way it helped me. And I've heard other people say that, but now I also, I've gotten, um, uh, target panic. So a lot of people think target panic is buck fever. It's not target panic is where you, you anticipate the shot and you flinch when you're, when you're supposed to be shooting. Like if, if you actually go back and listen to my video of uh, the buck I shot in Minnesota on the public land challenge, you can hear, I had, I was at full draw on the buck. I was about to squeeze the trigger and I anticipated the shot and you can hear like a little and that's my arrow going forward and me yanking back on the rest. And the, the, it didn't show it in the film, but the buck snapped his head up like, what the hell was that? And I was like, Joe, get your stuff together. And uh, I just squeezed through and hit him perfectly. Yeah. But I've got some panic terribly. <laughs> so yeah. maybe I need to put the camera away and get some things fixed. So we're, we're working on that. Maybe I'll throw a GoPro on the stabilizer. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, like a tack cam or something that's on there yeah. and, and ready to go. It's, it's funny because like I struggle with, um, I, I've struggled with target panic for years. And like one of the best things that like, has helped me and I've had, uh, I'll have to, you'll have to go back and listen to a, a podcast I did with Joel Turner. Um, yep. it was just, it, it was a very, very good. And, and I actually got to meet Joe, Joel 
and um and have him kind of coach me at a at a elk shape camp I went to and like he talks about just like going through the shot process and like talking yourself through it to put yourself in the conscious mind not the subconscious and consciously making every decision as you're going through and and literally talking to yourself through it and and doing that every single time you practice every single arrow and his mantra is like you never shoot you always shoot a perfect arrow and that doesn't mean you're going to hit in the perfect spot every time but like you're always surprised you always have this way of doing it and and he puts it in a way that i've never had anybody else be able to explain to me to get me for me to understand it and it's helped me immensely so i'd listen to that and check out some of his stuff because it's um if you still struggle with it i I think anybody can be refreshed on it i mean it always comes in like waves with me if i start getting off track and and uh, coming down to the discipline of doing that is like but uh, i can see where you know trying to run a camera and doing that can can kind of take your mind in a different spot yeah 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 that I think I wrote that in my post, the, the conscious and the subconscious mind, like there's so many things that are supposed to be happening in that moment of truth. And when you add videoing in there, you are adding a big thing into there that's taking away from something else that might be important. So yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I will definitely ch- check out uh, Joel Turner. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely should. Anybody like he's just been like, I just rave about that guy because he's he's so helpful and is very good at teaching and um, helped it out a lot. When when I was at the just as a quick side story, like when I was at the elk shape camp and and we were shooting and they made us like shoot it like the steel target that just had the vitals open and he's sitting there with an arrow tapping it on my hat, just like talking shit into my ear while I'm trying to shoot to like try to try to make sure that you you have to be focusing on your process and ignoring everything on the outside and just focusing on that and you know and and uh it it helped out so much by being okay. able to to learn from that but um anyways i figured i'd i'd share that with you and everybody else yeah that's interesting are you, are you a trigger style guy or are you a uh um um, what kind of release are you using? I, I shoot a thumb button. Um, you do? Yeah, I do shoot a thumb button. The only time where I feel like that's not or that's like I have a disadvantage is when you start getting like colder weather and you have like bulk and clothing around your neck. It's kind of di- you have to be careful you don't hit your trigger. Um, by it's hard to get a good you know anchoring point there. But I just I, I don't think it. And Joel teaches like it doesn't matter what you're using. But I feel for me personally i can shoot better with that than i can a trigger and that's just okay. um yeah i i i like using a thumb button better than that okay. and and uh yeah that's just my personal preference and it sounds like you shoot a trigger then yeah so all i have always shot a trigger i've always liked a trigger and like josh uh, josh bomar right that's his name yep he's got a really good video kind of breaking down all the stuff with target panic and using a thumb release and and a number of guys convinced me to go to the thumb style release and i bought the best best damn one there was out there and i practiced all summer with it and one time in the summer as i was drawing back my thumb hit i don't know my chin or something and i sent the arrow across the yard so then then you start getting paranoid yeah and (laughs) i'm like whatever we're gonna block it out and uh, i went into the season um and and i always draw back when i get in the tree and just kind of check everything out make sure it's good and uh just before killing my buck that i killed this year I drew back one time and the, the thumb hit my chin again and it sent the arrow into the dirt. Now I was, I was like, man, I'm going, is taking a deep dive here. 
And uh, and I can kind of explain what I did as the story goes on, I guess. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's 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 interesting that you've had that you've had that happen. And the, the like it took me a long time to really get comfortable with that thumb release. And like now, like when I draw back, I actually push my the front of my thumb into the back of the barrel when I'm drawing, like as I'm coming back, cause I'm so concerned of hitting that until I get into position. Then I wrap my thumb around it, um, okay. and kind of s- sink it in there. And I, I have it set somewhat heavy, um, too. So like it takes me in and I, I, I'm no coach in this. So just take this with a grain of salt. But like when I'm pulling through my shot, I just, I just release pressure in my hand and nobody else can see this, but I'm, I'm showing Joe across the screen here. And, and as it does that, it just makes your thumb go off. So I'm not actually hitting the trigger. I'm just like pulling back and it's, it's putting pressure on it. So I'm just squeezing. I'm just pulling. I actually say this in my head, pull, 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 pull as I'm just, you know, focused on that point. And then it just goes off with, with a surprise. And, uh, it's, it's, it's helped me out, uh, a ton, but it, it's, yeah. And, and, but what it comes down to too, is like with anything with, with, uh, with whitetail hunting is that confidence. If you don't have confidence in using it, it's like, you might as well throw it. You might as well throw that the best release that could be $250 release. You might as well throw it in the garbage because if you don't have confidence in it, it's not helping you any. Correct. Correct. And, and here's so many gear and this deer that I killed this year, I was at full draw on it. We think for four or five minutes and my, my arms were getting turned into noodles. And I, and I just, I, I did end up killing him with a, a trigger style release. And I just feel like if I had that thing, that thumb style release, my fingers would have gotten funny on me and I would have had to have let down and I don't know what would have happened. I, maybe I would have bumped the thumb. So it's that messes with me again. So, yeah. um, yeah, I guess here's where my head's at now. I'm like, you look at, you follow Cam Haynes, right? Everybody follows Cam Haynes. Mm-hmm. He shoots a trigger style release all the time and he's fine with it. So there's one man in the world that can do it. I'm going to be number two. So I'll yeah. keep working at trigger style release. Well, it's funny because everybody I've heard other than Joel has been like, oh, you need to go to a, a hinge or a thumb style, you know, or, or a back tension to shoot good and yeah. get rid of target panic. And Joel's like, it doesn't matter what release you're using if you know how to get your head right and operate it they should all work the same you should all be you know so i i really think that that. yeah yeah so that's where i think that like yeah i think i think it's whatever you feel confident you feel confident your trigger style you and cam you guys are out there doing it it's uh (laughs) that's that's exactly right so i i I know I know I've been a wise guy. I know a lot of people shoot them successfully, but it's, it's exactly what you said. Even Bomar said, throw your trigger style release away. And it's like, shoot, no, man, that's not me. I, th- I think I need my trigger <laughs> No, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to throw it away. <laughs> no. Uh, but uh, back to, back to, um, so after that, the, with the videoing of, of, you know, screwing up on that buck and everything there, what what happened then? Did you go back to focusing on that that original deer? Um, and and you were starting to talk about Mario. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so Mario was looking to kind of switch up what he was doing, and uh, he drove up to hunt out here. And I said, "Let's go." I got this trail camera on the sign poster up. Let's go check out that trail camera. And uh, we went and pulled the card, and there he was. He was he was checking the sign poster up. I think his antlers were touching it in a few photos. And that, that's interesting to me, whether they're just sniffing it or they're actually marking it or not. It's kind of interesting, but he was marking it that time. 
Um, and it was it was like 10 minutes after legal light. And we we're like, holy crap, this thing might be coming down out of the top, the, the upper, the upper clear cut, that bedding area where I was previously running the wireless camera and that I showed uh, in the Instagram post. And, uh, and I said, have at her, I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go try and kill that other buck that I messed up on. Like, I, I just hate, I had a buck the previous year that I messed up on and it's, it's, been in my head ever since. So I needed to get that other buck out of my head. So I need to go kill him. And I told Mario, have at her. And uh, Mario put in two or three hunts. Um, that night, he saw some deer come out of that thicket, I believe, at last light. It was kind of gray light, couldn't tell what they were. And then I, I don't know if it was the next morning or a few mornings after, uh, he went back up in there, got in there, set up super early. And right in gray light, um, he had a heavy footed deer come in. And uh, Mario is a super sharp dude. He, like, I don't know. There's a lot of different types of hunters out there. It's always interesting to observe them. Some people are kind of your more instinctual, go with the flow. Everything is like fluid. And then there's the guys like uh, Chad from Exodus Trail Cameras. He's got like this photographical memory where he looks at everything and he's got it. He's got like his own onyx in his brain. And, and Mario is kind of the same way. And uh, so he, he said, he's like, Joe, when that deer came in, it had heavy feet. I could tell. And he set up, he was trying to learn the area. He, he sat back and was kind of observing a little bit and the, the deer nailed him coming up in there. And uh, then he, as it got lighter, a, a smaller buck went up into that bedding area and actually got up into there without nailing him. And uh, then that night he, Mario adjusted over and the smaller buck came out. He ended up killing it. And uh, you can, you can see that in the Instagram post as well. So that, that was pretty cool to see him have success in there. Yeah, that was a, that was a nice buck too. Like that was, that was super cool. And I liked, I liked hearing that, that story of, of how he went in there and then, you know, how you kind of thought also like that area was screwed up because you guys were you know taking care of the deer and, and, yes. and, and doing everything. So that was, that was, that was really interesting to, to be able to, to hear that. Yep. Yep. So yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. The, the way I thought about it is exactly what you said in the swamps, you go in there, you shoot a deer that, that spot is shot for a month at least. And that's what I had anticipated there. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, I, I believe, I don't remember if it was before or after Mario killed his, um, it was before actually I was down in a different parking lot and I ran into, there was a young boy sitting in the parking lot and, and I honestly thought he was doing drugs or something in the parking lot. <laughs> like whatever he was doing was super weird. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm headed that way. And uh, I'm like, you're not headed that way, are you? Like, I just want to make sure he wasn't hunting. And he's like, no. He's like, I'm cleaning out my truck. I'm like, you're, you're cleaning out your truck? He's like, yeah, I'm cleaning out my truck. I'm like, okay, whatever. whatever. And uh, he's like, I saw a big buck. He's like, I saw a big buck the other day. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, where'd you, where'd you see that? And he's like, across the road the, the night before, across the road, right over here. I'm like, really? I'm, I'm like, what, it was big or like, what did it look like? And he's like, it was big. He was cussed and swearing about it. I won't swear at your podcast, but he was yeah. cussed and swearing about it. And uh, and I showed him a picture of a like a medium-sized buck on my phone. I'm like, was it this buck? He's like, no, it was way bigger than that. And I'm like, shoot. I'm like, that's got to be the buck coming down out of that thicket. Like, I'm all starting to put it together. Yeah. So then um, <laughs> and, you're, and you're probably like second guessing yourself. Like, do I, do I still believe this guy because he might be on this kid? He might be on drugs, but uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> I figured out who the kid was and I asked somebody else and they said, he's just socially awkward. He probably was cleaning up his truck. So <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. But uh, so that was all good. And then, um, so then my bow, my bow, um, Part of it was the release. A whole bunch of stuff was going on with my bow. My arrows weren't coming out of my bow straight. 
So I, uh, in, in the middle of all this madness happening, I took my bow to the local archery shop and we were trying to get it to fling a straight arrow, paper tune straight. And uh, they, uh, I shoot a Matthews. They were switching the top hats around, all kinds of wild stuff. We could not get an arrow to come out of there straight. So we sent it to Matthews under warranty and he gave me a loaner bow. It was a, a Z7 Extreme. so a little short axle axle bow. Yeah. And uh, that, that same day, somebody told me about a 190 inch buck that they had shined on the other side of the state. He's like, Joe, I saw it right in this field. Here's what I think. Here's what I think it's going to do. So I got, I got that loaner bow. I got up super early, got the loaner bow. Um, and I shot, I shot in the range at 20 yards. I picked up some, some uh, cheap broadheads for it and uh, just some hundred grain broadheads, nothing fancy. And I ran across the state to where he said he had shined that buck. And he told me exactly where he shined it in the field. It had just rained and the field was all mud. You could, you could see it real well, what was going on. And I zigzagged through where he had seen this buck and, uh, I think it might've been a fish story. There were no big tracks there. And then I went through all kind of the woodlots, did like a speed scout and it, it just, it felt wrong. So then I drove all the way back across the state and uh, it was, it was a crazy day. I drove all the way back across the state and I got back into the woods where this buck was living. And now we had, since Mario had been there, a lot of leaf drop had happened. So my thought was now I'm going to hit up all these thickets because a lot of spots have been eliminated in terms of where this deer could be hiding. And uh, I just ran like a madman for a few hours. I was all sweated up, um, bumping into hikers. We get a lot of hikers up from Chicago. So when they see a dude looking kind of grizzly, bursting out of the brush, all sweaty, like they, they look scared when they see yeah. you. I, I try to avoid people, but it was just a crazy <laughs> night. <laughs> well, was, so was, what time of year was this, by the way, when you said leaf drop? Was it during the rut at this point? Yeah, this was the night before I killed, which would have been, um, gosh, I don't know. I, uh yeah, no, November, like the second week of November. Okay, gotcha. So I zigzagged through this whole woods, and I just, I was not finding anything. I wasn't bumping deer. I wasn't finding big tracks. There was nothing that was getting my attention, and I thought, let me go creep over. It, we had like, I don't know, 45 minutes to a half hour of legal hunting light left, and I'm like, let me go creep over that ridge where Mario killed his and just see what's going on. And I creeped over the ridge, and I'm just standing there, and out of the thicket where Mario's buck came, the big one tried to go up in was a, a nice two and a half year old, like 120 inch eight point. And it was nice, but it's like, gosh, that's just not what I want to use my tag on. And uh, it was exciting, but that was where it clicked in my head. And I'm like, shoot, these deer are still using this thicket. Even after we made this mess in here, they're still using this thicket. And uh, so then I, I called Mario that night. I'm like, you wouldn't believe this stuff. I'm like, we got the gut pile right there. We got, we made all that mess in there. Um, and there's deer still coming out of there. I said, I, I, could see that big boy, the big one coming back in there the next morning. And uh, I said, if not, if that eight point goes back in there, um, I got a good friend that I hunt with once in a while. Um, I called him up. I'm like, Hey, you want to come hunting with me in the morning? I said, I'm, I'm going after this big one. I said, there's a chance this eight point goes back up in there and you can have him." And he's like, all right, yeah, dude, let's do it. So that night I sat there on the phone with Mario for quite a while. And we kind of, we're just taking a shot in the dark in the morning. And we, we kind of picked how we had to get up in there. He sent me a few pins back and forth. And uh, that morning we got up bright and early. It was, I believe it was our first snow of the season. And uh, I love that because I've seen many times. And I think, I think I heard you mention it too, that first snow, you see him come back to bed late. It, it seems to help. Yep. And uh, so we, we got up early that morning and we got super high in the tree. We, the way we got in could have been a little bit better. Our access could have been a little bit better. Um, but we got super high up in the tree cause it's just big hardwoods and we didn't want to with two, two blobs up in the tree. We didn't want to get nailed. And, uh, 
sitting there. the The wind was good. The wind was um, it was gonna switch right at prime time, so we were set up for that. And uh, as it got light, um, about an hour went by and nothing happened. And, and we're now we're just kind of chit chatting, shooting the breeze. Because and I heard you talk about this as well. If if they don't come in at first light, they're probably not coming in. And it, with how high pressure it is and everything. And uh, we were just sitting there shooting the breeze, and I looked down in the draw that I had anticipated him to come up up out of. And there, <laughs> I, I actually turned to my buddy. I said, "Dude, there's a deer coming. Grab your bow." And as he was grabbing his bow, I hit it with the binoculars, and I was like, "Shoot, it's the big one!" I said, "Put your bow down." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was a little mean, but like he knew, uh, like yeah. the deer after. And uh, I grabbed actually 15. It was snowing 15 minutes prior that Z7 Extreme. There's a whisker biscuit on there. And I know a lot of people laugh about whisker biscuits, but I had actually took my finger and melted all the ice off the arrow. And I'm so glad I did that because uh, that deer was coming up. He, he was coming straight up to us and I, I drew back on him and he hit, I don't know, it was like 45 yards out. He had hit where we walked in and normally in the swamp with the, the deer would be like, holy crap, there's a human here. I'm out of here. And he, he stood there for like two minutes, just smelling it, like watching him sniff the foliage. It was so interesting. You could tell he was just smelling us, making a decision. And at this point, because we sat in the dark for an hour, that scent was like two hours old. And and one thing I maybe haven't explained on the podcast here, this spot is tied up to a hiking trail. When you're in the tree, you can hear people walking by, talking. Um, you're, you're tied up to a hiking trail. So this deer is just used to people. And uh, German, like I said, his scent was two hours old. And uh, he was like, whatever. So finally, he started strolling back up to us. And at this point, my arms were like noodles. And I almost forced a shot. And I'm so glad I didn't force a shot. It was like at 35 yards. And uh, he turned, came straight, almost straight underneath us, kind of quartering forward. And I remember in my head, um, I just went through everything. I didn't have that camera. And I went through everything. And I remember saying, bend at the waist, because he was so, he was like right below me. And I remember saying, bend at the waist, off. And I, I, I aimed pretty high. I was almost shooting down into him. And uh, that arrow hit him, and with the with the white snow background, I watched the blood shoot out of his back a few feet in the air. Oh. It, it was it was like shooting a, a pressure valve. <laughs> and uh, he ran he ran around the back of the tree, and I I told my buddy, I'm like, I think once that arrow went off, I blacked out for like a few seconds because like <laughs> everything was just gone because <laughs> of how long I held the bow. And uh, the buck ran 100 yards, and we watched him roll, and we were both like, holy crap! Like it just the way it all happened was so cool, and. Uh, I guess the, the rest was history of it. We got down out of the tree and I'm like, where did this thing run? And like, I, I couldn't remember the deer running. I just remember it rolling. Cause like I said, I blacked out and he's like, it ran around the back of the tree. I'm like, really? <laughs> I don't remember that, but it, it was cool. It was a, it was good, good fun. Yeah. It, it, it's funny. Like you talk about bending at the waist, as you said, you listened to that podcast earlier that I did my, my buck that I shot where I um, missed him on the first shot. Did you hear that part of it? And I didn't bend yep. at the waist. And that I was, did. uh, I, did. I thought that today. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm like, I'm like, should I mention my bend at the waist part of the podcast? I don't want to be condescending. Like, Hey, Hey, I bent at the waist. <laughs> no, it was like, uh, as, as I said there, like, I was just like, so confident that like this deer is already in the bed of my truck that it, it complete rookie mistake and uh no i don't mind talking about it it's uh i, I need to relive it so i don't yeah. do it again right and uh it's it's one of those things that yeah. um yeah no that's that's that is just awesome and so explain a little bit about like that setup where you guys you know you and mario talk back and forth about it and there was a thicket there in the hiking trail were you like right on the edge of the thicket like 
as you, could you like yeah. shoot into thick stuff or how, how did that look? Yeah. So you, what I've scouted that spot a ton since I've killed him to try and understand it. And remember I said, we were set up for the wind to switch right at prime time. And um, that buck coming up in their lake kind of threw a wrench into that. And I remember as he was coming up, I thought, Oh no, this, this thing is going to wind us. And I started looking at the snowflakes falling and they were falling the opposite direction they should have been. And what, what we think happened. So we were, we were sitting way higher than this thicket and up above this thicket, there's a ridge. So what we think was happening was the wind was coming over the ridge and then hitting the wall of trees that we were in. And my buddy, Justin Wright told me what it was probably doing was eddying. Have you ever heard of that? Yep. Yep. Wind eddying. Yep. It was, it was hitting the trees and rolling back a bucket or maybe, maybe it was shooting down into the thicket and that's why he liked laying in there. But we were, we, there's no, the thicket was so thick you couldn't shoot into it. We were just right on the edge of it. And he, he was 20 yards from being in the thicket when I shot him. Okay. So that, that was how we got a bulletproof spot with the way the wind was doing that. Interesting. And yeah. And like, and, an eddy, so like for anybody that's like listening, it's basically like if you think like an undertow with a wave, like it goes goes one direction and then cuts and then comes kind of down or back. Um, and yeah, that that makes sense. And and with uh, do you think like obviously you're not in the head of the deer, but like were you assuming like he was like going to scent check that for does, or do you think that he was like tucking gonna head back into that thicket? Like, do you have any idea like what that deer was was thinking of doing? Yeah, so I, I went and checked the trail camera down uh, on the signpost rub after I killed him. And he I actually have pictures of him that morning just sniffing the signpost rub. He never touched it with his antlers, which I thought was interesting. And from where he would have been, from, from the time he was on the camera to the time and the direction of where I saw him, he was at my left and he worked past me to the right and then worked up to us. So I believe he checked a few bedding areas before he got up to us. But I also think um, he wanted to come up that draw. He wanted to come up that draw that um, that he came up ultimately because I think the wind goes down to to him in the draw usually. Um, yeah, I guess did that answer your question. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I was just I'm 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 visualizing it in my head. I have it. I I you know like like when someone tells a story, you like kind of picture what the spot looks like and how yeah. how all that works. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm visualizing that in my head and and uh, trying to understand it. One thing to comment about the signpost rub thing is, you know, the, like when I talked about that on the podcast in the past, there was a specific signpost rub that I, I've run them on a bunch cameras on a bunch of them now. But like this specific one, I know I've talked about before, where I'd get like I get a lot of deer passing it, but I don't. I only ever got like it was literally the. I think the oldest deer in the area that would hit it. And I got some really cool video of him just shredding this tree, you know, going up and down it. And, but he only did that one time. And every time I would go in there and I'd spray, uh, um, pre, no, was it pre, no forehead gland, um, scent on that, that signpost. He'd be there within 24 hours checking it. He wouldn't hit it, but he, he'd be coming through that area. I've had it where he was there two hours after I was like, it was, it was pretty crazy to see that. And this year though, that spot, like I didn't have as much action. The buck came through like in this, I literally ran a cell camera on it from like June until I just pulled it 
last weekend. So like, and I had changed, had changed the batteries one time in the middle of it, but, uh, I didn't have as many bucks. I didn't have any bucks hitting it this year, but I had them travel by it. And I hear like the trackers up in Maine, like how blood who have had on the podcast where he focuses on side and post rubs a lot for looking for tracks. He says, that's always like a travel route. Like that's his scouting is like find a sign post rub and then follow the elevation line and try to cut a track. And it okay. was like, it was super interesting to, as I've been running cameras on them to see how deer utilize them and, and, uh, there was, there was multiple, multiple bucks that would pass by this spot, but only that real big one actually hit it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Jake Bush had asked you on your podcast too, the, the timing of the year that you're seeing him hit it. Yeah. And, and the big boy, well, in my scenario, the big boy only hit it kind of during that rut timing when they're ramped up. Yep. The, the little ones would fool around it at all times of the year. But the, the, there was even a three-year-old that hit it, and that was only when things were ramped up. Yep. Yeah, it was, it's, it's super interesting to just kind of to learn um, from those. And, and I never paid attention to rubs really that much before. Like, I'd know, like, okay, this is a high rub. There's a buck living here. Or maybe if it's a bunch of them grouped around a spot that I think might be a bedding area, okay, that might be it. But I never really, like, never ran cameras on them or paid attention to them. And it's it's been neat to kind of just really out of curiosity to see what – yeah. Yeah. You know what, how deer utilize them and, and pay attention to it. So it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Just, just the experimenting side of it. Um, yeah. I do that. I do a lot with cameras. Like just like, I do that a lot with cameras. Like just like, like having a hunch, like, Hmm, could this, like the situation, I don't know, I'll throw a camera on it and see what, you know, how deer are using it or if they are at all, you know, and just kind of just experiment. That's how you learn. Yeah. Yeah. I always say if, uh, you see all these States banning trail cameras or wireless trail cameras or whatever, it's like, let's say cameras ever get taken away from us entirely, all the States, which I don't think will happen. We, as a generation, we're going to be very fortunate because we have all this Intel that we gathered from cameras that the next generation might not, you know, so take advantage of it while it's here. You never know what might happen in your state. So yeah, learn all you can from trail cameras. I've run a lot of trail cameras over the top of beds and have seen some interesting stuff. And it's just interesting stuff that you can kind of tie back and consider. And when you're thinking about that next buck you want to kill, you you can think, okay, I saw this one buck do this. Maybe this buck will do that. It's just, it's one more little thing you can put in the brain. Yeah. It's just, you you take all these pieces of the puzzle and they might not apply in every situation, but just one little thing to think of and determine, okay, is this a similar situation? There's so many different factors, but if you can be cognizant and learning of everything that you're seeing and and putting it all together, that's what's, that's the fun of it, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 Are you, um, are you doing much, um, uh, just transition a little bit here, but are you doing much scouting now? Are you a big postseason like your spring scouting kind of guy? Yeah. Um, yep. I've got, I, I guess I kind of have a plan. I've got two different bucks that I want. One of them, I don't even know if he's alive, but if he is, I want to be ready for him. Um, and another one, there, there's a, a buck. How do I explain it without over saying too much? <laughs> there's a buck um, that I want to see if I can kill him in a different way than what I would have to. So I want, I, I've been stalking, stalking is a terrible word. Uh, is it Troy Pottinger? 
Pottinger? Yeah, yeah, Troy Pottinger. With, yeah. The, with the synthetics and the scrapes. And I think what I, I might do a little bit of experimenting. So many people say don't mess with the with that kind of stuff, but gosh, I, I think I need to do it and fail for myself if it's a bad idea in these high pressure areas. But I'm gonna try some of the synthetics this year, I think, um, and see what he's doing and observe what he's doing and try to to copy it to the T on a certain buck to see if I can pull him out of a certain area um, during the rut. So we just had our we just lost our snow, so I want to try and go find some scrapes. They, they get covered pretty well still, even with winter and the leaves falling and everything. But I want to try and find some scrapes to, to see what's going on with that buck. And then there's a different one that I just – a different buck that I'm going to hunt. It's a, it's a similar terrain, but I've just been walking it and walking it and walking it to try and memorize the terrain and get it, get it in my brain, like what it looks like, how it lays. And, man, every time I walk it, you, 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 you don't see something different necessarily, but you get a different perspective. And – I'm hoping at some point I'm going to have the same perspective all the deer have as I walk it because when you just walk into an area, you, you're you're never seeing it right. You got to walk. I believe you got to walk it over and over and over, and then you start to see it the way the animals see it. You know. Have you ever noticed like I know for me like when I go into certain areas, there's one area I have not hunted yet, and I'm in year three of scouting it, and I find myself scouting it the same way every time like fall in the same type areas i'm like okay i gotta veer off of this or maybe there's there's a a reason for why i'm doing it this way and trying to understand and like covering you know maybe even walking 10 yards up this way you know and trying to see it differently and and understand it. i totally agree but i'm yeah. I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts so like i i actually buy the synthetic straight from Troy. Um, I use those on oh. all of my, uh, licking branches. I don't, I can't say I'm as disciplined as Troy with like his exact procedure building scrapes, or as he calls it, the traps, um, as he's trapping whitetails, as he puts it like with his scrapes. But yeah. I do use those scents. And when I'm building my scrapes or, or fre- mostly just freshening up ones that are, are already there, but I'm a, I'm a huge, I don't use any other sense i don't use any like uh deer pee or anything i just i i piss in all my own scrapes and then i just uh spray the forehead gland on the branches and i use that on the rubs too and i've had really really good luck with them i've i've liked it i don't know maybe they would have hit them anyways but uh for me I, i'll i'll do that in the summertime like i'll I start running my scrape, my cameras on scrapes in the summer and, uh, I'll, I'll get like, especially areas that you're not allowed to like run minerals in the summertime or anything like to get inventory. I'll run them on some of those scrapes and, uh, you can get a really good inventory that way, at least in the areas that I hunt. Yeah. That's what he was saying as well. And I don't know. I'm curious to see how it'll work. We'll we'll experiment with something different. That that is very interesting. Yeah, I, I, you have to report back to me on how that works. I'm interested yeah. to interested to hear that. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Joe, is there anything else you can think of? Anything else you want to share with anybody or or whatever else? Mm, no, nothing. Nothing that comes to mind. Yeah. Well, oh, that's, that's the, that's the story of my season, I guess. Yeah. Other than, uh, it's a great time to be in the woods now as it's springtime and before green yes. up and heck, I, this is my favorite time to be in the woods. I just, yeah. I spend more time now. I spend as much time now as I do during hunting season. Like I just love doing it, you know, just walking yeah. and 
yeah, I don't know. It's there's, just one of the, there's a lot of people out. You probably see a lot of people out as well, huh? Mm-hmm. Walking. Oh yeah, yeah. There's yeah, yep. people are out shed hunting quite often and and uh, putting a lot of uh, yeah, putting a lot of boots on the ground. And I just yep. I love it. I just like whether it can change. There's so many things that can change by the time the season comes. So I still do a lot, a ton of in season scouting. But like, I just historical data can be so impactful, especially in in areas like that that you've got to experience in Pennsylvania that may not have like uh big crops, like acorn, even like even have an oak, not even have an oak trees. And it's just like browse. So like a lot of the, those areas have more annual patterns that you can follow versus ones that are food source driven. And uh, I just, I don't know. I get so much value out of spring scouting. Yeah, no, I, I can, I follow your Instagram stories. I can tell you're obsessed. You're eating up with it yeah. every single weekend you're out there oh i love it i mean i'm like i literally smile like i'm in the woods and i'm like last couple years i haven't had as much time as and it's still like i i said it to somebody i was like yeah they're like you've been out a lot i was like man i actually feel like i haven't been out that much this year you know i feel like i've been too busy they're like you're out all the time and i'm like well before i'd be like every single day after work i'm out like just for a couple hours just trying to find areas and checking things out and it's just i don't know i love it yeah you're out more than the average person. Yeah. Say. Yeah. Let's and then there's, there's a few of us that put in this, put in this crazy amount of hours and we always run into each other. There's like two other guys in my area that I run into because they're doing like statistically when you're out that much, you're going to run into them. Do you, you have some big country out there. Do you have a few other guys that you run into that are local killers? Yeah, I do. I, I, I do. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's funny. I actually had a guy the other day send me a message and he's like, Hey, I think I found one of your trail cameras. Um, and start. And he, I go, where was it? And he named the spot. I'm like, yeah, that's mine. I said, actually, I left. I put that out last April, and I haven't been back yet. You know, because like, <laughs> there's some areas I just, I never. It takes me a while to get back to, and uh, it was, it was funny. But I do run into, I do run into some of those some of those other guys that are putting in a lot of a lot of time and I guess that confirms. I'm like, all right, I'm in a, I'm in a pretty good spot if these guys are in here too. So. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Depending upon the size of the spot, sometimes it's like, oh boy, if they're in here, I might as well just bounce and go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be out in the same spot. <laughs> but yep. Or some of, some of the older guys, that's where you, you want to, you want to meet them and, and know them and learn from them and learn what they've learned about hunting that type of country their whole lives. I've learned a lot of good stuff from the locals too that way. Yeah. I actually did that. Um, a couple years ago, I started hunting a new area and there was a, a local guy and that gave me some, like kind of gave me some trouble about, hunting there um at first and then once i got to know him and he saw that like i was putting in the work he was like an open book with sharing information and like just being super helpful and i appreciated that like just it's like oh i've been hunting here for 20 years and just had a just a list i mean showing pictures of the deer that he was killing and i was like man this is this is so awesome and and getting to learn from people like that like i just i soak it up that is cool yeah and all those guys they see the woods a different way. There's, there's no two killers that are the same. Like just, I guess that's the best way to put it, the way they see the woods and sometimes understanding the way they see the woods and then stealing a little bit of part of that and using it for your own perspective as you walk into the woods is, is super important. Yeah. You know, the, the, that's something that you said there and, and, uh, I don't mean to drag this on, but like there was a, this, that same guy, I was like, I'd find his setups and I'm like, I was like, I would never set up here. Like this is, like just it was some like open type 
woods and the way it was, but the area had relatively low pressure. And what I was finding was I was overthinking it. Like these bucks were betting right like on the edge or even like in the oaks that maybe a little bit of brush or like a little bit of a thicket like kind of in there as I was going deeper thinking of other areas that like it they're never going to come out to those open woods you know by the time it was daylight or yeah when it was still daylight and this guy was having luck in early October by doing that just because there wasn't much hunting pressure and I was like well I guess that that makes sense you know it it I just didn't think of it that way, but this, this guy was, uh, onto something for that specific area. Yeah. And it, it's hard when you have your mind locked in on the way you think deer move and what's happening. It is very hard to change that perspective. You, you really need to see things happen for yourself to, cause I've been in that exact place. Like I'm thinking of a spot, um, it was a private spot and I'd always, I'd always be diving into the swamp and there was an older guy that hunted it and he'd killed some good stuff. And he's, he's like, Joe, you don't always need to be diving into the swamp. And I thought, <laughs> oh, you're just, just complaining because I'm going to kill the deer and you're not. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just beat myself up in the swamp. And eventually I started backing out and just letting it be and letting the deer come out and catching them in little funnels. And I was like, oh, man, he is right. And, and I had to learn it for myself. But, yeah, so some of those older guys you need to listen to and pay attention. And 100%. I, I totally agree. Well, Joe, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking from, to me here. I, I, I hope everyone goes and checks out. Um, you can see like the story that we talked about here on Instagram and some of the photos he's talking about in videos. Um, your Instagram, I believe, is Rentmeester Joe. Is that, is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Or <laughs> I just type my name in on Instagram. I should pop right up. I yeah. And I'll put, I'll put a link in the, the podcast notes and, and then also you've been on uh, the hunting beast, uh, YouTube channel there, um, quite a few times. Is there anywhere else you want people to take a look or check anything out? No, that's about it. Um, yeah, that, that's about it. All right, cool. Well, thank you again for coming on. I really enjoyed it and, uh, we'll, uh, be talking to you again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.